Hey, great to see everybody. I heard about a guy named Bob, and his company gave him a ticket to the Super Bowl. He was just all geeked about it. He got there, and he found out, though, that he was way up in the nosebleeding section. And he's thinking, man, I'm going to be, I can look better on my phone than I can from here. And he's kind of bummed, and the game gets started, and he notices down by the 50-yard line, right next to the, the, the field, an empty seat. He goes, I'm going to go for it. Gets up out of his seat, and he gets down, he sneaks past security, and he gets down there, and he plops down in the seat, and the guy next to him, he says, uh, uh, is this anybody's seat? And he says, yeah, it's mine. He said, uh, you have two? He says, you know, I got married in 1967, and my wife and I have watched every single Super Bowl live since then. He said, but she just, she, she died, and, and so I'm, I'm here alone. And the guy said, oh, I'm really, really sorry to hear that. He said, but couldn't you find one of your friends or a relative or somebody who could have come with you? And he said, no, I couldn't. He said, they're all at her funeral. Uh, that's funny. I do not care what you think. That, that is funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, for the next, I don't know how long, but it's going to be a while. Uh, I, I want to talk to you. And, 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 and I want to say this right, right now. My goal is not in any way to beat anybody down. But what I want you to do is I want you to start reaching up. Reach up. But I want to talk to you about qualities that change a believer into a disciple. Qualities that change a believer into a disciple. You know, when Jesus arose from the dead... He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now, notice Jesus said to make disciples. In other words, there's a process. You don't receive Jesus, become a Christian, a believer, and instantly you're a mature disciple. There is a disciple-making process. As I was thinking about this, I realized the only really things that we want to do here is we want to win souls and make disciples. That, that's, what we, that's what we're about. We're about winning souls and making disciples. And when Jesus was about to go up to heaven, he told his disciples, look, you go into all the world and what you need to do, you need to be preaching and you need to be making disciples. Not just a Christian, but a disciple. And John 3.16 is the, the best known verse in the entire Bible. Probably almost everyone here could quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have 
everlasting life. Now, I want to talk to you from this verse for just a couple of minutes. And I want to talk to you about two different things in this verse that are good things as far as getting you saved and into the kingdom. But they're not where you should stay. In other words, there's two things in this verse that I would identify with a Christian, but not with a disciple. Now, the first part is this, that they should not perish. They should not perish. I, I, I was brought up in church. I went to church every Sunday for 20 years. I was not a Christian. I went because my parents made me go. And it was the thing you were supposed to do. That's why I went. Now, I, in a sense, I intellectually recognized that the Bible was true. I believe Jesus had died. I believe that he'd rose again. But it had not changed my life in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Whatever was being preached, it didn't, it did not change me at all. But the one thing I knew for sure is I did not want to go to hell. Now, this was my thought. If I give my life to the Lord and if I'm a Christian, I am never going to have fun again a day in my life. So I I don't want to go to hell, but I want to have as much fun as I can. And I I should get right with God when I'm old and I can't have fun anymore. This is what I'm I'm thinking. So I I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to be a Christian right away because I want to have fun. And Christians don't have fun. If you become a Christian, you'll be like baptized in pickle juice for the rest of your life. And I got saved, but here's what I figured. You, you, you never know when you're going to die, right? So I better get saved because what if I'm in a wreck? What if something happens? I better get saved and just live a miserable life. Seriously, that's what I thought. And live a miserable life because I do not want to perish. I don't want to go to hell. And, and you might be here and you say, I don't even know if there is one. Let me just tell you this. of everything we know about hell, we know from Jesus. Jesus talked about it more than anyone else. And he says, don't fear the one who is just able to kill the body. But fear the one who afterwards has the power to put you into eternal. But say eternal. You say eternal punishment. So I recognize there was a hell. And honestly, a large part of the reason that I got saved was because I did not want to go to hell. That is a good reason to get saved. Jesus said that's a good reason to get saved. But once you're saved, that should not be the only reason you stay saved. There is a process of you becoming a disciple. The other thing that's mentioned in this verse, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Other translations say eternal life. In in the Greek, by the way, eternal life, everlasting life, it's one word. It's only three letters. Z-O-E. Lots of kids are naming their little girls that nowadays. Zoe, something like that, they may pronounce it. 
And it, it's actually a Greek word that means life or absolute life, life as God has life. Some take it from First uh, John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. There's other people that they get saved or their Christian life really revolves around getting blessed. What God can do for me. Uh, God, bless me. God made me successful. God made me rich. God, give me this car. Give me this house. Give me this wife. Give me these friends. Give me success. Give me health. Bless my plans. Bless me. Bless me. Bless me. Me, 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 me. Now, that's not a bad reason to get saved. But that better not be the only reason you stay saved or you live for God. We can start there, but discipleship is a journey. It's a process of making disciples. And so we're going to talk to you, talk in the next several weeks about doing this. Not God just bless me, bless my wife, bless her plans, bless her kids, bless our, our work. You remember Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. A man has two sons, an older and a younger. The younger comes to his father and says, father, give me the portion of goods that corresponds to me. Give me my inheritance now. You are taking way too long to die, and I want my stuff. So give it to me now. And the father divides his goods, and Jesus said, not many days later, this young man takes off for a far country. He goes and he spends everything in prodigal living. And then a famine arises, and he finds himself working for a farmer, feeding his pigs. And Jesus said he wished he could fill his own stomach with the food the pigs are eating. And then he came to himself and he said, even the servants at my father's house have it better than this. And I will arise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Make me like one of your hired servants. He started out, give me. But he ended up with, make me. Jesus called some people to be his disciples and he said, follow me and I will make you. Make you. A, a, a lot of people in the Christian world today look at God as some sort of a cosmic bailhop. Where you just kind of, he's just, God's just there to take care of all of your desires and needs and every thought that you might have. It's interesting that Jesus did not just call 12 disciples. Jesus called a man that the Bible refers to as the rich young ruler. And Jesus said to him, go sell what you have, give and come follow me. Jesus called that man to be his disciple. And the Bible says he was, he was very sorry because he had great wealth. The truth is he didn't have great wealth. Great wealth had him. It's not, what you, it's not what you have that you can release that's the problem. It's what has you that you can't release. That's the problem. But there was stuff that kept that man from being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and stuff. 
Can't do it. There's another man that Jesus called and said, come and follow me. And he said, first, let me go home. Put everything in order. I want to make sure everything's good. And I want to do this and I want to do that. And I want to do the next thing. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You follow me. But you know what? He didn't follow Jesus. Jesus called him to be a disciple, but he did not follow Jesus because of friendships and relationships that he put in front of following Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Would it be about uh, about 70 years ago? There was a theologian in Germany. In fact, uh, it was during the Second World War when Adolf Hitler required all churches and pastors to give a to, to pledge their allegiance to him. And of the about 13,000 churches that were in Germany, just over a thousand refused. And they kind of came under the headship of a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And they were called the Confessing Church. Uh, he uh, ended up in a prisoner of war camp and was hung shortly before the end of the Second World War. But he said this, when Jesus calls a man or a woman, he calls them and bids them to come and die. He calls them and bids them come and die. How many of you know that's different than bless me, give me? Come and die. If anyone will come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. See, the purpose of life is not to make you happy. That is not, you, you understand that, don't you? That's not the purpose of your life, to be happy. I know this a lot of people think that's the purpose of their life. I remember years ago, a man came to me and, and, and said, God wants me happy. He said, and I can't be happy with my wife, but I can with my secretary. Serious. I said to him, God does not want you happy. He wants you holy. It's true. Now, listen. If you will follow God's plan for your life, you will end up happy. The kingdom of God is righteousness, it's peace, and it is joy in the Holy Ghost. But what your flesh wants and what will truly bring joy in your life are not the same thing. They're not the same thing. So Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what we find is that, that people who say they're Christians, and, and, and honestly, they are Christians, but they're not disciples. They may have some fire insurance, or they may be following God just for what they can get. But that is never where God wants us to end. He wants us to reach up higher. In fact, Jesus, in one translation, it says, leave your low life and come and I will give you the high life. 
He wants us to be reaching for discipleship. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Today, I mean, it, it's really kind of cool, kind of chick to have a cross, you know, a nice silver cross or a gold cross. And it might be, you know, on a necklace. It might be on earrings. And that, that's real cool. First century crosses were not cool. Crosses were like electric chairs. In fact, crucifixion has been said to, to be the most inhumane way that humanity has ever found to take the life of another person. And what Jesus was saying when he's saying, take up your cross, he was saying, go to the electric chair. He was saying, lay down your plans for your life. Don't be seeking your kingdom, but seek his kingdom. Put his kingdom first. And you think, well, maybe that's just for missionaries and Joyce Myers and somebody like that. No, Jesus said, if anyone, anyone, that's you, that's me. The Amplified Translation says, let him deny himself, disown himself, forget, lose sight of himself, his own interests, and refuse and give up himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me, cleave steadfast me to me. Conform wholly to my example in living and, if need be, in dying also. You know, are you a passionate follower of Jesus or are you just in a bless me club? Are you just a consumer Christian? Well, I, I'm a Christian because of what I can get from God. And, and I show up in church when it's convenient. You know, when there's not a game, it's not too warm, there's not something else I can do, and I'm there to see what I can get. Serve me, help me, take care of me, please me, and if I don't like music, or I don't like the volume, or I don't like this, or I don't like that, man, I'm out of here. Consumer Christian. That's not at all the one that Jesus talked about. Jesus bids us come and die to ourself. This is, this is the best example I could come up with. And, and if, it, if it falls short, I'm sorry. But I want you to suppose with me that through those back doors, a man comes in. And, and immediately we notice he's very anemic, seems to be in very poor health. And the ushers bring him up on the platform and there's a doctor here in the house and he examines the man. And he says, this man is starving, but even more than that, this man, this man is dying of thirst. And all things being equal, if he does not drink water in the next 30 minutes, he will die. And so I said to the, say to the man, I said, uh, you've heard the doctor, he says that if you don't drink this water in the next 30 minutes, you're gonna die. Do you believe if you drink this water, you'll live? And he says, absolutely. I believe if I could just drink that water, I'll live. 
And I say to him, well, how did you get in this condition? And he tells us this story. And 20 minutes go by. And the doctor examines him and says, yep, all things being equal. If he does not drink in 10 minutes, he's going to die of thirst. And I say to him, do you believe that if you drink this water, this water will save your life and you'll live? He says, I absolutely believe that if I drink that water, I am going to live. That water has everything necessary to sustain my life. All I need to do is drink it and I'm going to live. Nine minutes go by. Doctor examines him again. Says, all things being equal, if he does not drink in the next 60 seconds, he's going to die. And I said, do you believe that this water will save your life? He said, if I drink that water, I will live. 10, 9, 8, 4, 3, 2, 1. Falls over dead. Now, did he believe? According to the way we use the word today, he believed. But according to the way the Bible uses the word believe, he did not believe. He had mental assent. He believed the things were true in his mind. But biblically, it's not belief, it's not faith until you do it. It's not what you mentally know. So you can know Jesus came, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he's seated at the right hand of God, that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead and live like the devil. You can know it all. But what are you doing with what you know? See, biblically, believing is knowing and then doing something with the truth that you know. That's why the Bible says, by faith, Abel gave a more excellent sacrifice. That's why the Bible says, by faith, Enoch walked with God. It says, by faith, Noah built an ark to the saving of his family. That by faith, Abraham obeyed and left Ur, not knowing where he was going. That by faith, Isaac blessed his children. And that by faith, Moses' mother did not let him die in that river, but prepared that little ark to put her son in. The Bible says, by faith, Rahab did not perish with the rest of the Canaanites because she received the spies and hid them. How many recognize every one of those are something that they did? Because they believed something, they did something. And Bible faith is not simply acknowledging that information is true. Bible faith is acknowledging the information is true and then acting on the information. So we need to do more than just know something. We need to take and we need to do something with what we know. So let me just... For a few moments, as we close today, talk to you about believers or Christians versus disciples. There's people that believe Jesus is their savior, but they live for themselves. Now, again, we, can, we all start at one place, but that's not where we're supposed to end. 
The Bible says in Ephesians 4 that we're all to come to the full stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to grow up. We're supposed to become disciples. We're supposed to become more and more like Jesus. Jesus said that a disciple, when he's fully trained, he is like his teacher. See, God wants us to become like Jesus. The Bible says the believers were first called Christians in Antioch. And the word Christian literally means little Christ. Little Christ. We're supposed to be little Jesuses. Every place we go, whether you're a, a, a teacher, whether you're a, a housewife or a banker, a computer programmer, a salesperson, whatever you are, you're supposed to be a little Jesus. Every place that you go, people should look at you and go, man, they're just like Jesus. Well, the Bible says about the disciples, the Pharisees, they looked at him and they took note that they had been with Jesus. But a believer is someone who has Jesus as Lord and Savior and lives to please him. Not to please themselves, but to please him. A Christian, they'll exalt their opinion, their feelings, their thoughts above the word of God. Now, Christians focus on themselves. Where disciples exalt the word of God above their opinions, their feelings, and their thoughts. And their first thought is, what does the word of God say about this? And how can I please God? A Christian thinks church is where you come to hear the word of God, to gain some knowledge, or to hear a good joke about the Super Bowl and be entertained. But that's not what a disciple does. To a disciple, church is a place where they learn to do, to do what God word, God's word says. A Christian, they're accountable only to themselves. But a disciple isn't like that. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the proverb says, if you rebuke a fool, he'll hate you. But correct a wise person and they will increase in learning. You see, a disciple comes because they want to be corrected. They want to learn how they can please Jesus more in their everyday life. Christians, they serve God when it's convenient. They give, they serve when it's not an inconvenience. But a disciple serves God when it's inconvenient, when it's a sacrifice, when it's hard. When it costs you something. Most of our staff will remember a, a while back at one of our staff meetings. I said leadership is when you do inconvenient things at inconvenient times. Inconvenient things at inconvenient times. And people that are Christians, they, they don't want their Christianity to mess with their life. But a disciple, it's all about your life. The Bible says when Christ, who is our life, not your Sunday life or your religious life or your moral life, but Christ, who is your life, shall appear. And we're waiting for him, but he is our life. Christians try to impress God by being religious. Now, listen, they'll do the same thing as a disciple. But they want to do it their way and they want to do it when it's convenient. 
But a disciple seeks to know God in a personal relationship. And they want to please him. They want to know him. And they are thankful. A Christian can do things to be seen. Where a disciple is ready to do things when they're not seen. Jesus talked about giving. He talked about praying. He talked about fasting. And he says, you know, if you do it so people see you, he says, you've already received your reward. The apostle Paul made this observation. He says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He says, if I do it because I have to, I get no reward. But if I do it because I want to, he said, I will receive my reward. In other words, in the kingdom of God, your motive is more important than what you do. How many remember man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart? And a disciple's heart is to please God. It's not about me. It's about him. Seek first the kingdom of God. A Christian, they'll follow God as long as everything's going well. In fact, Jesus said it like this in, in Mark chapter 4. He said, they have no root in themselves. They endure only for a while. And afterwards, when tribulation, and by the way, tribulation simply means the problems of this life. Transmission goes out on the car. You lose your job. Problems or persecution. You're put aside because you're a Christian. Tribulation or persecution arise for the word's sake. Immediately, they stumble. They serve God as long as it's convenient, as long as everything's going well. But a disciple follows God when their world's falling apart. They follow God when they have to give up friends, possessions, worldly pleasures. In fact, they expect to sacrifice, expect it to be hard, and expect to suffer. It's interesting. Paul said, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, endure hardship. Whoever said being a Christian would cost you nothing and be easy did not read their Bible. Because it says to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A Christian, they choose their own path and they ask God to bless it. They're self-focused, self-absorbed, self-promoting. It's my goals, my ambitions, and my dreams. But a disciple is different. A disciple seeks God and finds out what his will is and his direction and then follow it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A lot of people make their own plans and then say, God bless my plans. It would be so much better to find out what God's plan is and follow his plan. It's already blessed. It's already blessed. Christians can be full of pride if they're doing well and self-pity if they're not. It's based on their performance. And so their, 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 their spiritual life goes like this. Right? But a disciple is full of gratitude because of redemption and God's unfailing love. It's the prophet Habakkuk, I believe, who wrote, he said, though the fig tree doesn't blossom, and there's no fruit on the vine. 
And though the stall's empty, and he just keeps on making his list. And then this is what he says. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord my God. And he says, and he's going he's to take my feet and put me on my high places. He's saying, it doesn't matter if the world's falling apart. I'm going to love God. I'm going to serve God no matter what it costs. Christians, they tend to be temporally minded, just focused on earthly things. But disciples are heavenly and eternally minded. The Bible says to set your affections on things above and not on things beneath. Let me just close with this scripture out of Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, because he looked to his reward. So Moses is in the family of Pharaoh, the most influential, the wealthiest family on the planet. Anything that money or position could obtain, he had, but he left it all. And he, was, he said, I would rather suffer with the people of God than enjoy everything this world has to offer. And this is what it says, because he looked beyond this life to an eternal reward. Christians tend to be earthly minded, not looking past 25, 30 years from now. But disciples are eternally minded and they're thinking about an eternal reward and thinking about the kingdom of God and not their own kingdom. Say, so would you bow your heads for just a moment? And again, I want, I want to distress this. All of us are on a journey becoming more and more like Jesus. And I do not want anyone to leave this place today feeling like you got beat up. But what I want you to do is reach up, reach up and say, I want to put the kingdom of God first. I want to become more like Jesus. I want to be the person that picks up their cross daily, that denies themselves and follows Jesus. I want each one of us to become a more committed, deeper disciple of Jesus. Now, in a group of this size, there's people in all sorts of spiritual conditions. And there's some of you that are here today, some of us, we're not right with God. Uh, at one point, you may have lived for the Lord, but something or somebody got in between you and God, like a wedge, and you just drifted farther and farther away. And all of a sudden you look at your spiritual life and you say, I'm so far from God, I have no idea how I even got here. Some of you, you have no idea where you stand with God. But the Bible says to know that you have everlasting life. 
We're not supposed to die and find out if we're right with God. We're supposed to know today. The thing that the devil tries to tell every one of us is you've got all kinds of time or he'll say you've just done too much. You've gone too far. But I want you to realize that God loves you. And the apostle Paul this said this. He says, we beg you, be reconciled to God. There is forgiveness for you. There is a new life for you. And there, there is no life too dark, no sin so shocking, no sex so perverted, no relationship so appalling, no addiction so dreadful that God's love, the blood of Jesus, and the Spirit of God will not reach down and pick you up, wash you, make you clean, and make you a new person on the inside. Now, what do you need to do? You need to receive the forgiveness that God offers you and surrender your life to Jesus. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want to receive forgiveness and I want to surrender my life to Jesus, I'm going to count to three in just a moment. And I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. And we're going to pray. And God is going to meet you right here in this place. And when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. You're going to be forgiven. He's going to make you a brand new person on the inside. And as you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying to God is, God, I know that I need a Savior. And I am coming to Jesus today to be saved and to be forgiven. One. As you lift that hand, you're saying today, I'm going to give Jesus all of my heart, all of my life. I'm going to hold nothing back. Two. Now get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying this to Jesus today. I'm going to receive him. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to forgive me. He's going to make me new. I'm going to be a part of your family, part of your kingdom on my way to heaven. Three. Just lift that hand up. Pray with me. Pray with me. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand and that hand. Are there others? Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Up in the balcony. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody else, including me, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Would everybody please stand? Now, if you lifted your hand, please look right at me, wherever you're at. Would you please move to the aisle, wherever that is nearest to you? I want you to bring your purse, your Bible, your coat, whatever you brought, the person you came with, but make your way right down here. And God is going to meet us right here. We're, we're going to pray. And when we say amen in just a moment, your past, it's going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. If you're in the balcony, please make your way down from the balcony. We'll wait for you. But come on down as soon as you can. Thank you. God bless you. I know there were a couple of hands over here, hand in the back there. Come on. Jesus said, confess me before men and I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. This is amazing. You know, 43 years ago, no, 45, 45 years ago, I was standing right where you are. I prayed a prayer. We're going to pray that same prayer. It's been 45 years, that prayer's still working. 45 years from now, this prayer is going to be working in your life. Right. Now, we're going to take Romans 10, verse 13. This is what it says. It says, whosoever, that means you, that means you, that means you, 
and you. You know, you might think I don't qualify. No, you qualify 100%. Now, we'll call on the name of the Lord. Now, we are going to call on his name to save us the way the Bible shows us to. So this is the promise at the end. We'll be saved. So when we pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be saved. You're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. He's going to make you brand new on the inside. Now, awesome, awesome. Come on. Come on. Now, let me say this. This does not depend on how you feel. Because God can't lie. He cannot lie. And he said, you do this. He said, you will be forgiven, right with God, saved. So I want everybody, take one hand, put it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven. Now, everyone, make these words your own. Just say this from your heart. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. And I believe he's coming again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. And I receive the forgiveness that you have for me. I thank you. You love me. That I am forgiven. That I'm now a part of your family. Today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Wow! Awesome! Awesome! 